Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to Communication Mixdown. I'm Rima Chan. With Prime Minister Scott Morrison expected to call a federal election any day now, today we are talking about political polling. Political polls are a kind of public opinion poll that provides a snapshot of voter views and preferences. And today we're exploring how they influence the political discourse and what role, if any, they have in election campaigns like the one we're about to launch into. To explore political polling, I spoke to an expert in electoral matters, Dr. Peter Brent is an adjunct research fellow at Swinburne University of Technology and political commentator on Inside Story. I spoke to him last Thursday after the budget had been handed out and started by asking Dr. Brent to explain what political opinion polls are. Political opinion polls consist of sets of randomly selected respondents around the country or around a particular geographic area and they a typical number of respondents might be a thousand or a bit less in Australia and they're asked a particular question or a particular set of questions. Usually the first question is, if a House of Representatives election was held today, which of these would you vote for? And then the, the questions go on from there. It's important that pollsters ask the voting intentions question first because that is the most important question and if they ask other things first they can pollute, they can steer, it influence people's voting intentions answer. So that's asked first and then other things, preferred Prime Minister approval ratings, what do you think of this and that issue. And opinion polls, if they're done well, they represent, they don't really tell you what would happen if an election was held today because that's a great big hypothetical and it's hopelessly hypothetical really. What they, what they do ideally tell you is if you were to ask all Australians on the electoral roll how they would vote today, that opinion poll scientifically should get that number about right. But of course we can't really tell if an, an opinion, if, if an election was held today what the result would be because we don't know what would happen in the campaign and people aren't really engaged enough to uh, necessarily know how they would vote. I used to um, be a, uh, briefly, a news poll holder. And, um, you know, sorry, they... Sorry, did you say you were at news poll? Yes, many years right. ago. And uh, the sampling sort of, you know, you get a bunch of random numbers, but you get one in maybe five or ten people who'll accept, who'll agree to doing a poll. And I felt, yeah. like I wondered if that skews things a bit. Many decades, a couple of decades, one, two, three, <laughs> three decades ago, I did the same for the Morgan poll. So there were, there were low response rates. The pollsters, in theory, they get around that by weighting the answers. So, for example, young people have traditionally been hard to get and the pollsters will, will address that in two ways. One is often late in the day they'll tell the people who are making the phone calls, I mean, these days it's, a lot of it's done automated and or, or online, uh, they'll tell them we only want young people now. So they'll 
only be asking for young people. And then the other way they deal with that is to wait the results. So if they, they try to get different cohorts, different age groups and gender and, and by area, whether it's in the city or outside the city, they try to get the respondent numbers roughly the same as exist in the general population. And if they can't get that, then they weight them. So they, if, you, if you don't get enough people in the country, you make their responses count for, for more, make their responses count for how they actually are in the, their numbers in the general population. I guess this is a good time to kind of step back and talk about how frequently polls are held and what are the main ones in Australia. Well, these days there are more and more because getting cheaper and easier to do it because all you need these days is some software and a phone line and get hold of a list and randomly produce numbers from that list and just let the voice, let the software do the rest and, and, the, and the software will ring up people and with a recorded voice say, you know, hi, I'm calling from so-and-so. Would you be able to you know, press one if you can participate in this survey? So there are more and more of them. Once upon a time, let's see, I mean, they started in Australia in the 1940s and until the 1970s there was the Morgan Poll maybe the odd other one but it was Morgan largely had a monopoly and then a few others entered the field and in the 1980s news poll started and because they were run every fortnight I think at first they were run every month but then they were run every fortnight and the Australian which commissions them really uh, publicizes them and really gives them high profile on their front page and writes lots of stories around them news poll came to be the dominant pollster, the one that everyone looks closely at, and that's uh, why we have this ridiculous situation where Malcolm Turnbull justified his toppling of Tony Abbott by referring to losing 30 news polls in a row. Note the terminology, losing, so polls have now become a contest in themselves. He didn't say polls have suggested that we're behind. He, he said we're losing the, the polls, which is you know, really making the polls a contest themselves. In terms of back to your question, there's News Poll, Reachtel, Essential, Ipsos, Morgan, of course, and a few other ones pop up here and there. News Poll is now is no longer done solely by telephone. It's done with a mix of on a mix of platforms, and that's cheaper. It's actually done by a different outfit to news to the old News Poll, but uh, they've managed to get away with with keeping on calling it news poll and everyone still obsesses over it to the same degree as they did before so that change has worked well but it obviously costs them less now because they don't have to pay lots of staff to make phone calls around the country as much. So how are they reported? So news poll obviously you said the Australian but other other, um, polls are they related to particular newspapers and things? Do they all report each other? Can you tell us a bit about that? Well they... The Australian has News Poll, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age have Ipsos and Essential is with The Guardian now. So those organs prioritise their own polls, the ones they pay for or have a deal with the pollster to, to produce. But they still will report other polls. Everyone reports News Poll. Everyone prioritises News Poll, even when they're trying to, even though they would be trying to prioritise their own. So, so a Herald or or age journalists will try to refer to the Ipsos poll where possible, but ultimately everyone's obsessed about the news poll. So Just become an authoritative one, has it? Just just by pure kind of being around for the longest, is it? Yeah, it's a good question how it became like that. It's been around for the longest. The Australian has really traditionally boosted it, really, really given it a high profile, and, it, and it's been every fortnight for 
the last couple of decades or so at least so I suppose it's regularity and I, and it's it's been quite good at elections it's been quite accurate that's uh, of course that can only be judged by the final poll so all the pollsters make an effort extra effort with that final poll that appears the day before the election or so because they want to be as close as close as possible to the actual result so news poll makes that sample extra big but yes they they but they've been fairly accurate so that's uh, that really helps how are polls reported? Like, What are the key measures that people will, I guess we're about to have an election call. What can we expect to hear about, um, you know, the news that is polling? The pollsters will be in the field asking, first of all, if an election was held today, how would you vote? What do you think of the budget? Uh, lots, you know, lots of questions about the budget. And I imagine News Poll and Ipsos will both, will both have results heavily promoted Sunday night, Monday morning with their budget news poll. All the polls are over vastly overinterpreted, so they're, they're given an importance they don't really deserve. But because they're given that importance, they become important, at least as far as the party, the apparatchiks and the political class are concerned. And they affect the reporting. Well, news poll is, is most most important. If, if news poll, say, happened to show the coalition ahead on Monday, that would be the first time they've been, that news poll's shown them in front for a long time, for years, I think. If they did, then the reporting and the political commentary would all inhale and uh, digest that, internalise that and report Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg as very clever politicians and this budget is clever and, and uh, a piece of political genius. And then if another poll comes out that shows the opposite, then they have to revise their... They don't tend to revise, they just start saying... The, the political class just starts saying something else. Oh, the government's hopeless, you know, they haven't got a chance of winning. So that, that's what the polls do. And between now and Election Day, we'll get lots of them. They'll influence the, the way the campaign is reported, the way the commentators view who's winning the horse race. What effect that has on the actual result is, is not really known. Some political scientists and observers believe in the bandwagon effect effect whereby if one side is seen to be headed for victory, voters jump on board. I tend to believe more in an underdog effect. So I think it's better to be seen to, to have your chances understated in the political commentary. However, the political class and the, and the journalists interpret the polls, that, that then influences their reporting and that, of course, influences the campaign in very complex ways that we can't really pinned down. So yes, that's what they, the papers have, winners and losers, losers and so on. Well, now they'll be asking people, is this budget good for you? Is this budget good for the economy? And a few other things. And I think the one good for the economy is the most important because I, I think that for one thing, people are cynical about politicians and they suspect that that, that which has been promised in a budget or before an election is, can easily be unpromised after the election. It's particularly fanciful this one, isn't it? Because nothing's been legislated or there's no time to. So it's it's a series of you're a winner if or a yeah, loser, depending. But then they've all been like that recently, haven't they? Because the Senate is so difficult for, for governments that they have trouble getting all sorts of things through. So I think in terms of, I, I think that budgets are most important as a way of, for governments to showcase their economic uh, prowess. Their, you know, their their economic competence and to castigate the other side for being terrible and you know the disaster that would befall the country if the other side got in. I think that's more important than who wins and who loses. Otherwise, it would just be as, as simple as giving everyone a check for ten thousand dollars. I suppose so many things are in the laps of the gods and in the lap of international economic 
economic headwinds and when bad stuff happens, governments would love to be able to wash their hands of it and say, there's a global financial crisis you know, around the world, that's why we're doing badly. When good stuff happens, they beat their chest and say, it's all their responsibility. And everyone, whether the economy is good or bad, it is generally, uh, responsibility is not really the government's, but they do derive either credit or, or odium for, for economic conditions that are generally a product, firstly, of decisions taken by earlier government, maybe last decade or the decade before, and also what's happening in the rest of the world. As we know, China is, uh, our growth is very reliant on China, as we keep hearing. It's interesting how much the Prime Minister says that the leader of the opposition is bad for the economy, I think, the last couple of, you know, the last few weeks even. He's bad for the economy, as if as if that's the whole of the polity. Well, it is important that the economic is important for elections. So if I was advising him, I'd probably tell him to bang on about the economy a lot too. And it was the last Labour government, it was what they clutched at um, with Tony Abbott. They, they kept saying, Tony Abbott is a risk to the economy. They knew that Tony Abbott was unpopular. And if they could just get the economy wrapped in people's minds, wrapped up in their ideas of Abbott, then, you know, they, they were hoping that that would work for them. And I suppose Bill Shorten is not exactly a very popular opposition leader. He's not, hasn't set anyone's pulse rate running. He's no Kevin Rudd in opposition. He's more like John Howard was back in 1996. He just looks likely to win because people are ready to turf the government out as opposed to people actually liking him. So the government's internal polling, I suppose, qualitative polling, that's focus groups where they select swinging voters, often in swinging seats, and ask them all sorts of questions and they no doubt get opinions about Shorten that aren't very flattering and so they want to use that as much as possible. To go back to a point earlier you made about the underdog effect, do you think that's almost uh, a risk for the government to focus on sort of negative statements about Bill Shorten because that sets him up as the underdog, doesn't it? Oh, by underdog I mean if, if people expect you to lose. So I think Shorten did quite well from an underdog effect last time in 2016. Pretty well no one expected Labour to come close to winning. And you know, in the minds of some, that might have allowed people to lodge a bit of a protest vote against the government. There's one election where the underdog effect really helped the incumbent. I believe that's 1993, the Keating government's re-election. Most people thought they were going to lose. And I just, I just think that allows people to, to maybe, they, they don't want to see the winner win with bigger majority so they sort of want to make the contest a bit a bit more even and I suspect there was a little bit of that last time except uh, in the opposition's favour and then that only if, if people start expecting the coalition to win and that, that will only happen if the opinion polls change then then you could see an under, underdog effect helping shorten but at the moment the underdog is the government but there's another factor and that's while poll after poll after poll has labour ahead it's, it's not by a huge amount it, it's by an amount that if it uh, was repeated at an election would be a big win for Labour, say 53 to 47 after preferences. But in terms of opinion poll leads, it's not huge. It's not, for example, back in 2007, throughout that year, Labour, the Labour opposition was ahead at least 10 points and some, often sometimes as much as 20, generally around 15 points. So they were they were ahead, for, say, 56-44, that sort of thing. And, and, the, and they ended up having a much narrower win than the polls all year suggested. So if the polls narrow between our election day as much as they did in 2007, then it's really line ball. We're listening to political commentator Dr. Peter Brent discussing the meaning of political polling and how they influence elections. More after this. 
We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for warriors of the Aboriginal resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange. A 3CR supporter. You're with Communication Mixdown. This week we're talking about political polling and how they shape the political discourse, if at all. Here's what Peter Brandt, an expert on electoral matters, political commentator and contributor to Inside Story, had to say when I spoke to him late last week. Who do you think it influences the most sort of polling results? From what you've been saying, it sounds like it's sort of politicians themselves, political parties and political junkies like yourself. Yes, that's the most important uh, group that they directly influence. Uh, Well, the journalists are the most important because they then inhale it and write their stories and give their, their news reports through that prism. One interesting thing that happens when a seems like a party is going to win the leader tends to eventually there are preferred leaders there are leaders personal ratings do you approve or disapprove of Bill Shorten a job he's doing as opposition leader do you approve or disapprove of the job that the Prime Minister is doing and though the party people take them very seriously I think that they take them much too seriously. I don't think they're very meaningful, but they take them seriously. And eventually, I think you saw this with John Howard, the voting public, just whether they voted for him or not, they thought he was a very clever politician. He'd been in so long, he was very hard to beat. He was going to you know, beat whoever, whoever he ran against. And that props up his approval rating. This is my theory, again, okay. I can't prove it. And that approval rating is propped up, and then so the party, go, the party interprets that as... Uh, you know, we better stick with Howard. We can't. We can't. Uh, we couldn't win without him. So there are sort of loops that develop in, in opinion polls like that. That's really interesting. Um, this sort of preferred leader measure. You've said earlier that um, Labor's been winning opinion polls for a while, but but Shorten hasn't been winning the preferred leader. Yeah, it's not unusual for an opposition leader to be trailing as preferred prime minister, even though voters are those same voters are saying that they will that they would vote for them to form government. Certainly. Um, Gillard versus Abbott. For a long time, Gillard remained preferred prime minister against Abbott, even though polls suggested that the Labor government would lose very badly. I think preferred prime minister is another one that's vastly overinterpreted by the political class. There's something about incumbency, I suppose, that voters find it hard to imagine. They're familiar with this person who's currently prime minister, and they find it hard to imagine this opposition leader as prime minister. I, I, I think that's why they, uh, you know, a few percent of them say, I'm going to vote Labor, but I prefer Morrison as prime minister. I'm just I know him you know I don't really go for uh, I mean it's an indication of the low esteem that Shorten is held as well but that doesn't in the end that doesn't really uh, the, the low esteem in which Shorten is held is already factored into the voting intentions if he was a more popular person Labor's lead in the polls would be greater so I don't see his his low preferred prime minister and low approval ratings as, as reason not to believe Labor will win that's I'm not that's I'm not saying that Labor's certainly going to win, but I don't, unlike many, I don't see Morrison's superior personal ratings as a reason to believe that, that he will prevail. It seems a peculiar measure to me, too. It is. It is sort of interesting, I suppose, but I think it's just something that we, um, we got off the American. 
the way we do polling in Australia, do you think it is it is um, appropriate to, uh, you know, you just mentioned that um, we've inherited that sort of polling from the Americans, but we have compulsory voting. Do, do these things make a difference? Well, I think uh, polling here is easier to do because of compulsory voting. You don't have to factor in turnout as they do in all those countries with uh, optional voluntary voting. Polls being inaccurate only matters when it's so when it's close. So at the last Victorian election, polls were off, they were all off by a few percent, but it didn't really matter because they just they showed a big Labor win, and instead there was a very very big Labor win. Why why does it get more important? I mean, so you can you can make some money out of this. One can <laughs> by because there's a lot of there's also the betting that happens sort of in parallel to polling, doesn't it? it people, you can actually bet money on who's going to win. Yes, can you and talk- that mostly derives from the polls ah. as well. So I'm certainly not one of those who believes that the betting markets are a good predictor of anything. They, they, they just distill general and makes expectations. But in terms of why is polling important, I mean, it, it shouldn't be. There's way too much of it, but everyone's uh, addicted to it. And uh, our, our political... Reporting is so facile and so content-free as a rule that it's easier to just look at the horse race and wait for that opinion poll. Now, there's so there's so many people. I think there was apparently the American newsreader Walter Cronkite apparently once said about Australia, "Too many journalists and not enough news," or something like that. And, and I think that describes the Canberra Press Gallery, really all running around, with some exceptions, running around just reporting the fluff of the evening news and the not really the reporter's fault, it's what the, their, their bosses want them to report, what, what people expect. And I, and I think our news reporting is more facile than most countries, so we get that from America as well. I was disturbed when you said that journalists are the people who are sort of one of the groups that are most affected by polling, as opposed to the public. It's political staffers and journalists who are, because they'll they'll then just kind of consume that as, a, as, as the direction to go in. There's no critical engagement with this sort of stuff that you can identify you know, are, are there people sort of putting up a fight and sort of, I guess as soon as you've seen it, is it unconsciously influencing people or are they just kind of trying to be on the side of winners? What do you think is happening behind the scenes there? Right, well, I don't mean that the journalists start barracking for whoever's winning, but, but they do report it as... As a foregone conclusion. Well, as these people are good at politics, uh, they're doing well, they're cutting through, you know, all that, uh, they're appealing to battlers, all those uh, all those tropes. And the polls, I mean, they can't, they inhale the polls and that reflects, that, that then comes out in their, in their writing. And I, I suppose it's not a conscious thing, it's just when you're living and breathing Australian politics 24 hours a day and you're waiting for that uh, next opinion poll and comes out and you analyse the poll and then you're writing your next story and you, you take it as given that that poll reality, that poll reflects what's going to happen at the election and how the pollsters are going and sometimes uh, how the parties are going and sometimes if polls do jump around you will get commentators jumping around in their interpretation of this and that event, this policy release. A party will put out a policy and then a poll comes out showing a jump in their support by a percent or two, which may or may may not be meaningful anyway. It might just be... Within the margin of error. Yes, it's noise. So that will then be interpreted as a good policy, as a successful policy. Then a couple of days later, another poll shows the opposite. And and often the same commentators will, without really reflecting much, just turn around and say, oh, that that policy wasn't very... Wasn't very successful, so that's a little depressing. I, I don't think the the job really encourages much self-reflection in that way. Uh, it's it's really about you know producing news today and tomorrow and. Ch- 
churn, 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 and I suppose the way media is speeding up and journalists are now expected to write during the day for stories that are uploaded, and it's, uh, yeah, you could say it's just becoming more facile, but I suppose we already, we already knew that. And, and another, another aspect, I think, is social media. I, I'm on Twitter, and I uh, you know, follow the press gallery, most press gallery, and uh, it just seems to me that they, uh, Twitter influences, it seems to me that Twitter often influences the way they write, so they spend the day on and off Twitter, and that's extremely facile. I'm saying I really mean they have conversations on Twitter and I think that that influences their perception of politics. And and, it, and, and if they do think that they're getting, like sometimes you see a journalist, well there's one in particular who I won't name, they're not in, they're not in the press gallery, who from time to time says, oh I'm getting the, you know, on Twitter I'm getting the feeling that this policy is unpopular or this, this is popular. And I think once, if you really start believing that, you, you know, you're in big trouble because one's tweet stream is not representative of anything much apart from itself. It's not representative of the, of the population by any stretch. How do you think polling affects polling behaviour? Well, indirectly in that way that I, uh, how I described it, so it uh, influences the way journalists do their job, which in turn influences polling. I suppose that's a fairly vague way. But also that example I gave where I think leaders, again, that particularly was the case with John Howard, the opinion polls tended, people interpreted the opinion polls, the journalists interpreted the opinion polls, I think they really gave Howard a, a sort of an allowance. You know, even if Labor was ahead under Kim Beasley, they would still say, oh, Howard's on top, because they really believed he was the maestro who could pull rabbits out of hats. And because they reported the polls like that, people gave Howard high approval rating. If you think about it, if, if you're asked the question, do you approve of the way the Prime Minister's doing their job? If, if you think, well, part of the Prime Minister's job is to be a clever politician and win elections, then you know, love him or loathe him, I've got to you know, give points to this politician. Especially if every time I look in the media, it's telling me that he's doing a good job. That's right, that he's a maestro, that he can't... It would be best to ignore the polls altogether and how they're reported and just do what most of us don't do and, and um, really dig into the party's policies and think about which ones are, you think is good for the country or good for you. So, I mean, ideally, people would ignore opinion polls altogether, but that's not realistic. So the second best option is to take them with a grain of salt and don't dwell on them too much, but just be aware that they do drive the, the media commentary and all the expectations. They, they uh, are responsible for all of that. That's good advice from Peter Brent, Adjunct Research Fellow at Swinburne University of Technology and political com- commentator, whose work you can find on Inside Story. He also tweets on electoral affairs at MumbleTwits. And just a reminder that both Ipsos and Newspol results from this morning found the opposition Labour Party to be ahead of the LNP government. That's it for Communication Mixdown this week. We're here next Monday again. Join us then.